0: Are just the same. <coughs> Packing a Musket by Jerry Blank. <coughs> when you work from your home and John's call on the phone, you're a call girl. When you walk to your limp and give a cut to a pimp, you're a street whore. When they're begging you, please, to get down on your knees near their groinage, excuse me, but you see, don't you touch where they pee without coinage. Thank you, Jerry. That'll... When I straddle and squat to show you my... All right, Jerry. I like the pole and the hole. And right now, I'm as moist as a snack cake down there. Hmm? So, why don't you come to my crib after school and I'll make your pinky all stinky. Hmm? It makes me as damp as a cellar down there. All mildewy. Enter. Pizza, pizza, pizza. I got
1: something to say! I don't know we'd done X57 together. We'd work at Second City together, and we'd worked together for years, and done X57, and then when that got canceled, we wanted to work together again. And Amy had always something wanted else to do that
2: would get canceled. Exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Amy wanted always wanted to do an after school special. And but well, there wasn't much more uh, to that yet. And she always wanted to do an after-school special as a show. And so when she went to Comedy Central to pitch it, she said, "Would you help us?" And that was it. There end of story.
2: <laughs> oh, and, no, and then we, and Paul we found, found this found other that, video. Yeah, from it was made in the late '60s. That it was about a, um. <laughs> It was called the trip back. A little A uh, Trip back, um, yeah, about, about a, like a 50-year-old woman who uh, um, was a junkie, and like, she was from Long Island and became a prostitute and a junkie. And then she was on the road to recovery, and she'd go to high schools and talk. And the woman reminded me of Amy. <laughs> <laughs> and the best thing about the woman was
1: that she would go to high schools and just yell. She'd sit by yeah, the table so cool. and chain smoke and yell at students. <laughs> You, the Negro in the vest. With
0: the beads. With the beads. Uh,
2: I know what you're doing. I know what you're into. I'm no- I was hip, I was fly, I was dope.
0: <laughs> I was one smart cookie and I couldn't get away with it.
2: Exactly. I woke up on Dope Street with a needle in my arm. <laughs> All means rebel and start using pills, start using goofballs, start using marijuana, start using horse, and then go to jail. And then you know what? You go into a place like I went to, Rayford, Florida State Penitentiary, where you're thrown into a sardine can, where you eat and you sleep. And you mess on the floor, and you lay naked for male and female guards to check up on you. And in the morning, because the smell is ridiculous, they hose you out with a power hose. Horrible. Well, I have a question. Don't you think you're being a bit presumptuous with us? You, you're, first of all, you said that you considered us hippies. What's your connotation for hippies? Because uh, I, uh, I don't think any of us are really hippies here. Well, no. fine. I Anybody really? Ah, my little catalyst here. You're playing devil's advocate. I love that. Well, I use the word hippie merely for the purposes of identification. What I was trying to say, I'll tell you exactly how it is. I was about 21 when I started using stuff. When I finally got into synanon at the tender age of 46, I thought I was 21. You know, the false eyelashes, which I still wear, but I don't wear the mascara with it. I don't wear tight dresses. I wore dresses shorter than you kids. I really thought I was 21. My, my growing processes stopped.
1: Well, there you go. That is the real Jerry Blank. Holy shit. Yeah. That's crazy that you found that, man. That's, that's unreal. It's, yeah. It it's, kind of makes the show more amazing to me just to hear that. Um, it's
3: uh, it's on YouTube. It's called like uh, like Amy Sedaris said, it's called the the look back. So, uh, you can find it. It's easy to find, uh, and it is amazing. And the woman, you should uh, listeners of this show, obviously, we're doing, it may me be obvious to everyone, but we're doing "Strangers with Candy," the uh, uh, '90s era Comedy Central show that starred uh, Amy Sedaris, uh, Paul Dinello, and Stephen Colbert. And it was based, Strangers with and we'll get a lot more into this, on this uh, documentary from 1970, actually, called The Look Back. So, anyway, we'll get into all that. But, yeah, it's pretty amazing, right?
1: Yeah, at first Uh, I thought those were outtakes from uh, 90210. That was Andrea talking to to the kids. To the kids, Um, Anyway, we'll talk more about that, obviously. So, that was kind of the inspiration.
3: That was the inspiration, mm-hmm. uh, and you can see where where all that came from. So anyway, this is the Cultural Futures Exchange, CFX, where we examine different uh, pieces of cultural ephemera, uh, TV today, but mu- music, movies, books, all that kind of stuff, dive into the context and time they came out, what's happened since, and our take on the future valuation in terms of going long, short, staying neutral, that kind of thing. And uh, today, obviously, as I mentioned, we're doing Strangers with Candy, a show that some of you have no doubt uh, watched and are aware of, and others may have never heard of. And so for those folks who um, have never heard of it, we hope to entice you to at least check it out and make up your own mind. And uh, we'll get into all of that. So uh, do you have anything to add, Slip, before we get started with our personal histories?
1: No, I should say that the inspiration for this was our Beverly Hills 90210 episode. So Jeff's been a fan of this show for, for a long time. Right. And he'll tell that in his personal history. Uh, you know, I saw the show not in its original run and I'll talk about that, but the thing is I mentioned that, you know, uh, Andrea looks was so old. She was like Jerry blank from strangers with candy. And Jeff thought that was really funny. And he's like, we should do that, you know, because that's one of my favorites. And, and I'm like, okay. And that would be really interesting to revisit. Cause I haven't really thought about it since I saw it. You know, I remember loving it when I saw it and thinking it was hilarious. Um, but you know, I hadn't thought about it in years. And And it's, and it's interesting. Another interesting one, because, um, you know, it's one of those things that isn't as old as some of the things we've done, but it really does seem like it wouldn't be done today to me. And I think we'll talk about why and talk about maybe why that's not a good thing in some ways and why maybe it is a good thing in some ways. Uh, You know, we can talk about how it stands up. So that's essentially what we do here. And I think this is a really good one because again, it's not that old uh, compared to most of the things we do. So That's all I have to say. So if you want to jump into your personal history, we can do that first.
3: So personal histories.
1: Uh,
3: I saw it when it originally aired. Um, I don't know if I saw it right at the beginning of the first episode, but like when the first season was on and in um, reruns before the second season, I think aired, definitely saw it. Thought it was amazing
1: from the beginning. Did you just accidentally stumble yeah. on it? I mean, oh, okay. we had
3: cable at that time, and we are watching things on Comedy Central, and we saw her, Jerry, and we are like, "What the hell is that?" And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, she was—it's kind of like a car crash you can't look away from because she's so gross, but so amazing. And like, you know, my wife and I had like kind of like grotesque things at times, and it was—you know, she is a grotesque, right, as a you care archetype. And we were uh, sort of amazed by it. We started watching it and like immediately we were hooked. Like, this is just an amazing uh, show when we first watch it. Um, I would say that, you know, I, you know, my wife, I think feels similarly, but I was very compelled by how subversive it was. And we'll talk a lot about how and why it was uh, subversive and really unlike any other thing on TV, uh, you know, at that time. Um, and, uh, and I'll talk more in my evaluation about that but i've watched rewatched uh, parts of the the run over the years uh a few times since it, since it has aired um we're talking today of course about the tv uh show the series but there's also a movie that came out a few years after the tv show ended which we're not really going to cover here but um it's the same kind of stuff so you know i don't think there's necessarily a reason um, to cover it i i think we'll, we'll get through most of the uh the important things uh, talking about the uh the TV shows. So, Slip, why don't you talk about your personal history here?
1: Yeah. So, my personal history really doesn't start with this show. With it, things related to the show or, or "Strangers with Candy" adjacent, it starts with David Sedaris, um, Amy Sedaris's famous uh, brother, who is a nonfiction writer of mostly comedy humor. Uh, sort yes. of, yeah, humor humor writer. Um, you know, who's mostly writes kind of semi um, autobiographical uh, you know, essays and stories and things. And I first heard him, of course, on NPR, uh, on this American life, uh, probably the, um, story where he was an elf at, uh, you know, um, I forget which super, uh, department store it was, if it was like Bloomingdale's in New York or whatever. Um, and I've just always been a big fan of him. My wife's been a big fan of him. We've read a bunch of his books and, um, You know, I've actually seen him. I saw him like about six months ago in Carmel. Um, He did a live talk and it was just really funny. And I was also surprised by him. You know, him and Amy, their childhood, you know, was pretty crazy. And and they're both kind of a little crazy. Kind of. Absolutely. They're both nuts. Absolutely. They're both nuts. And he's like really raunchy, too. I mean, some of his humor gets really raunchy, too. And he's really funny. So I'm a huge fan of his. And when I heard about this show, Barb had told me that at the library. So just to give you a background, when this was on, I didn't have cable. Mm -hmm. I've never had cable. Like, I haven't had cable since I lived with roommates in the 90s. So when when I married Barb, my wife, and when we lived together, she didn't want cable. So we never got it. So we never had cable. And what we would watch is just DVDs from library because my wife works the library. So as soon as this came out, she's like, you want to watch this show, Strangers with Candy? And I'd sort of heard of it. Um, And by that time, of course, I knew who Stephen Colbert was. Um, By that time, he was well ensconced on uh, The Daily Show. And I think even Colbert Report might have been on by that time. Um, So he was pretty famous and I'd seen him, you know, around. And so we watched the DVDs and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was really funny. It was kind of, as we'll talk about in the zeitgeist, it was kind of, a signpost for that era of humor, which I think was a really strong era for comedy television. Um, and it was so edgy, you know? I just thought it was so dark and so edgy and so um, kind of nasty. I thought it was really good. Um, but again, that's, that's the last time I watched it. I don't remember if we actually watched the film or not. From what my understanding is, the film kind of rehashes a lot of the show anyway. Yeah, with, um,
3: with, with uh, bigger stars in it, which isn't necessarily a good thing.
1: Right, right. Like cameos and things yeah. and uh but um you know I I remembered it fondly when we when we started doing this. So I, I think I had a little different experience watching it again. Um, but I will get into that in my eval. But uh, of course for those of you who want to see it, the it's on Paramount Plus. And I've often wondered, you know, I mainly have Paramount Plus for Star Trek shows. Um and I've often wondered, you know, all these streaming things, I've been like, which ones do I get rid of? Because, you know, they usually have like one thing I care about. But thankfully, Paramount Plus owns all of Comedy Central shit. So I was able to watch this really easily. Um, and it was kind of a cool experience watching it again and kind of a alienating experience in a way. But again, I'm going to get to that. And I think it has to do with how times have changed. Um, but I think we're going to address that. Uh, because that's kind of the elephant in the room with a show like this and and a show where, you know, I think it's important people remember, uh, but we'll get to why and all of that after. But first, Jeff, why don't you go into the premise of the show so people can know what we're talking about, I guess.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll add that David Sedaris has a story, one of his many stories in one of his books. I can't remember which one, um, you know, I, I'm a fan of his as well where he talks about going to summer camp and being afraid to poop at summer camp. Mm. And he, you know, the whole part of the story is he used the phrase, pack like a musket, which is the name <laughs> of uh,
1: Oh, wow, yeah.
3: wow. So I don't know if that was something that she took from him or he took from her, or it was a family term or whatever it is, but like- Yeah,
1: they've since collaborated on yeah. stuff too. Like they've done Broadway, I don't know, Broadway or off-Broadway shows together and stuff. Yeah.
3: But anyway, in one of his earlier books, he has a whole story about summer camp, and and that's something that reminded me of that. Anyway, so the major characters and the premise and all that, we'll get into that. So the premise is it is set in a fictional city called Flatpoint, and it follows the story. You know, you heard the uh, intro to the show. The character already announces all of this, but, you know, Jerry Blank, she's a former prostitute and a drug addict. Um, she returns to high school as a 46 year old, uh, freshman. Uh, she ran away from home originally, and she was a prostitute, a boozer, a user, and a loser, as she says, a loser and, uh, you know, supporting her drug habits and, you know, crimes. And she stole the TV and all that, and been to prison several times, uh, and, uh, all that. So she tries to, uh, you know, goes back to school, tries to rebuild her life and she, uh, tries to do, uh things the right way, but learns the wrong lesson or does things the wrong way, but learns the right lesson and has all these hijinks Mm -hmm. um, with these other characters of the show. And uh, you know, I can get into all that, but that's sort of the, that's sort of the idea there. It lasted three seasons and before it was uh, canceled uh, ultimately for a show called strip mall, believe it or not. So the, the characters of the blank family, we have Jerry, uh, who's played by Amy Sedaris, we talked about. We have Guy Blank, um, who is played by a guy named Roberto Gary, who's uh, Jerry's biological father, and is shown in the show as only kind of freeze frame, motionless, <laughs> mid action, kind of, <laughs> yeah.
1: which you said Dude. that you really liked a lot. <laughs> Dude, he's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. I, it's um, so funny. It never gets old for me either. Like every time they show him, I'm laughing. But anyway, I'm stepping ahead. Go ahead.
3: On interviews, by the way, they said that that whole idea of him in freeze frame was supposed to be like an absentee father. You know, yeah, that's why he was always shown frozen. Um, uh, Sarah Blank, which is Jerry's stepmom, played by Deborah Rush, to great effect. I think she's one of the stronger performances
1: uh, as a as oh, a yeah.
3: stepmother. The brother, Derek Blank, played by a guy named Lark Spies, is pretty funny yeah he's, uh, he's also a, great yeah. the quarterback of the of the football team and stuff and 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 an antagonist uh uh to Jerry in a lot of ways and then in later seasons, a guy named Stu um who is the blank family's meat man and has an affair. he's married but has an affair with uh Sarah blank Jerry's stepmom after the father uh dies. So that's the, the the family, and and they're all really funny in, in various ways, and have Stu's not so great in later seasons, but the rest of them are are, are pretty good in my opinion. Um, then we have the high school uh, Flat Point High uh, faculty and staff. Um, we have a principal Onyx Blackman, <laughs> played by Greg Holliman, who's just fantastic. On on is so funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, on the show and he plays the principal and his, the, one of the funny things about it is that he is, uh, he's, he plays Onyx black, Blackman and he is a black man and he is a very tall black man. And uh, he, he is, uh, his image is everywhere in the school. Like there's pictures of him, like on every corner of the school and every room and kind of haunting everything in, in classrooms and lockers, on paper towels even, it's kind of a joke on the show. And he's incredibly funny on it. And he has a lot of good lines and, and stuff like that. Um, we have uh, Chuck Noblet, who's a teacher, who's a history teacher played by Stephen Colbert. And uh, he, I think he's a, a newspaper-sponsored teacher. Uh, and the newspaper is called the Donkey Trouser because it's a flat-point-high donkey, right. concrete donkeys. Right. Um, he has He's married. Uh, they have a kid named uh, Seamus, but he is a closeted homosexual, and he has a relationship with another teacher by the name of Joffrey Jelinek, played by Paul Danilo, Um, and who's the school's art teacher and uh, kind of an emotionally fragile and narcissistic guy. Um, there, there is the girls' uh, gym teacher, you know, played in you know kind of an over-the-top lesbian sort of archetype, uh, Coach Wolf, by uh, played by Sarah Thryne, Thryer, I guess. Um, and then there's some other uh, folks. There are is Iris, Iris Puffy Bush, who is the uh, secretary to Principal Blackman, <laughs> um, and uh, you know it's implied that he's sort of having an, an affair, uh, br- uh, the principal, with this woman. And then Cassie Pines, played by Janine Garofalo, who's the guidance counselor. There's some other students that um, Jerry has, uh, you know, uh, work, you know, relationships with. Most uh, important, I think, is a guy who uh, uh, named uh, Orlando, or she would call poor Orlando uh, derisively, um, played by Orlando uh, Pap-Otoy, who is uh, Jerry's Filipino sidekick and whose heritage she makes many racist uh, comments about that we'll talk about later. Um, and he's sort of in love with Jerry, weirdly, and it's really disturbing, but it's sort of mm-hmm. funny. Um, there's in later seasons there is a redheaded uh, girl named Tammy. It's played by Maria Thayer. Thayer uh, and uh, he, she often calls her Copper Top, Copperhead. Um, there's a couple other characters, uh, Jimmy Tickles, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, who you know Jerry tries to get it on with. Uh, you'll hear more about later. And then Paul Cotton, a love interest, uh, who gets to see uh, Jerry's a uh, Liberty Bell <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that, we'll, that we'll talk about, which actually makes my wife want to vomit like whatever yes yes gonna, yes. Um, which it makes me laugh because it, it is like the grossest thing ever. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, there there's the um, other minor characters, uh, Claire Noblet, uh, check uh, Noblet's wife makes one appearance. And then um, in one episode, Wash from uh, Firefly is in it as a cult leader um, who uh, tries to get Jerry into a cult. And I think you'll talk
1: about that episode. Uh, yeah. Later, so, yeah
3: all right so so the zeitgeist do you want to get into this a little? yeah bit? i
1: want to get into it so obviously we know that it's inspired by an actual real life documentary which is pretty crazy how amazing that documentary is <laughs> and how like how they nailed the character in a lot of ways um in some ways they don't have to exaggerate much no. um but obviously they do especially with the sexual stuff um You know, we should also mention that Jerry uh, doesn't discriminate between sexes. She's definitely got high, high lesbian tendencies as well. Um, She's pansexual.
3: She's pansexual.
1: I mean, there's one episode, uh, the drug-oriented one, which is possibly my favorite, um, that uh, she has the hots for a hot, uh, pot smoking uh, student. Uh, But anyway, so it's basically kind of a, uh, you know, in a way, um, you know, obviously, it's a parody of after school specials. You know, yeah. there's episodes where Jerry has to care for a real life baby and, you know, they deal with, you know, the whole idea of virginity and the most insane way possible and drugs and all these uh, kind of issues. And related to that, obviously, we can't help but say it's a parody of shows like 90210 yeah um, you know it's definitely related to that, and that was again these were this was the nineties, so that was really hot stuff you know nine oh two one oh and and even the more dramatic uh my so called life I'd say were directly in the firing line of this show yeah, um, and I think uh yeah the the that that really can't be argued um, but another thing I wanted to talk about was the style of comedy because. This style of comedy, I really think, um, obviously, Comedy Central was just coming into its own in the 90s. I mean, in the 80s, I remember when Comedy Central first came out. It was basically like Jerry Seinfeld-like comedians standing in front of brick walls, you know, with my... I mean, it was just comedy show after comedy show after comedy show. And they started to realize they needed to do more sketch shows and stuff. But this was actually it's the first show on Comedy Central that was actually a full-blow full, full blow full blown, uh, non-sketch show where it actually had a plot and a screenplay and all this. So this is the first one. Um, I mean, they talked about that exit 57. I don't know where that was on, or if you've ever seen that. I see Um, clips
3: from it on YouTube. I'll talk about that a little bit. Okay, cool.
1: So, um, yeah, I've never seen it, but also I think there was a style of comedy that was coming into being maybe from, you know, upright citizens brigade and, you know, that, that, era of second city where it was just more edgy and they were doing a lot more of these kind of characters that were terrible.
3: Yeah.
1: You know, like, um, and you really see it come to fruition in, in David Brent in the UK office, you know, Ricky Gervais's character. And of course, Michael Scott in the office. I mean, these characters are definitely influenced by something like Jerry blank, right? Right. they are characters that say, and they're in the mainstream, right? This is office. You can't get much more mainstream than that. And I'm also going to talk about it because of its renewed popularity, which I think there's a reason for that. And I think that's that may be the reason this show might have a shot, um, is, you know, it's these characters that are just awful, and they're racist, and they're backward, and they say everything wrong, and they're mean and harsh. And it's kind of meant to, for us to laugh at them, because we're kind of, you know, maybe above that, or maybe we're laughing at bad parts of ourselves, who knows? But it's like, it's a comedy that really started to take off in the early films. And you see it in Arrested Development as well, you know, with the most of the characters on that show, pretty much almost everybody, even though, you know, Jason Bateman's a straight man, he's also, you know, he, as you watch it more, you realize he's he's completely awful too and yeah, deranged. they all are. <laughs> you know, they all the, are. Uh, blue Sorry, yeah. Right? But especially someone like, you know, Joe Bluth, I think more than, you know, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's that kind of humor. And Sarah Silverman's comedy is like that, you know, she would get out and say terrible things and it's kind of ambiguous because she's herself, but kind of playing a character. And so I think, I think that was kind of a huge thing. And I think this show was kind of at the forefront of that, maybe doing that before most other shows were, and maybe doing it in a harsher way. Uh, than a lot of these other shows were, although we'll we'll get to that. Um, and then the other thing that kind of came to me later on is it really reminded me of John Waters. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's got that same grossness. Like Jerry Blank is almost like a drag character in a way, almost sure. like something Divine would play that character in a John Waters movie. And then you've got some of the acting and some of the craziness of the show, like the brothers acting, where it's kind of intentionally bad and over the top um, I think, uh, is very John Waters. It's very kitschy. The, the, you know, stuff like the Liberty Bell, I just thought of him right away. Um, you know, that's something he would do just her gross, uh, over the top fashion, even her hair is kind of, you know, it's meant to be dated and out of style. Right. So she's kind of got the sixties hair. It looks like, and I almost think her, of her accent as being very Baltimore, but again, I, wherever the Sedaris are from, they both, I North think Carolina
3: they're, actually. Raleigh, oh, they North are. Carolina. So
1: maybe there's a weird Southern Midwestern, you know, Eastern thing. Um, but, but yeah, they have, they have a weird accent. So it may just be her, you know, exaggerating that to make her more trashy and more low class. Yeah. Um, but. But yeah, I mean, the show really reminded me of him, and that's a complete compliment for me. Um, you yeah. know, I think I think that's uh, his his stuff is another thing where we have to question whether he could do what he does, what he did now, uh, in this era of ultra sensitivity, and you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing. We can go into in our evaluation. Uh, so, Jeff, why don't you jump into a little bit of the background? I mean, yes. we could talk a little bit about Amy Sedaris's background uh, before this, or or I didn't. I was going to put some stuff. I didn't really do much. I don't think they did much before this, right? Yeah, they they all met uh,
3: the three creators of the show, Amy Sedaris, Paul DiNello, and Stephen Colbert, all met at Second City in Chicago, where they were there, and you know, it's the usual struggling com- comedian, poor banding together to try to you know make it sort of story that a lot of people in Second City had. Um, and there's lots of interviews with the three of them uh, where they talk about that, especially on Colbert's current show because Paul Donello is one of the producers and Amy Sedaris is uh, a frequent guest, so they, they they
1: talk about that a lot. That's great that he brought them on. Yeah, you know, with his massive success.
3: Yep, yeah, I think they're all really close. I mean, there's an interview where Stephen Colbert basically credited Amy and her. She's she has a lot of cooking skills and she you know has. A lot oh of, yeah.
1: That's kind of what she does now. Yeah, yeah, so
3: he was saying that that Amy basically kept him and uh, Paul alive at that time where they had, like, no money, mm. and she was very resourceful, and and they have a lot of stories about that. And and Danello and, and Sedaris were a couple for a while back in the day there. Um, and now, I thought this was actually kind of odd, but, you know, Amy, Amy Sedaris is such an amazing kind of weird caricature of a person, but, like, Paul Danello married to another woman and, you know, has a bunch of kids and Amy is their god, the kid's godmother. So, um, that is, uh, sort of an interesting thing. Uh, you know, I probably, his wife is, it's like, yeah, I'm, it's cool that your ex-girlfriend is, uh, the godmother of our children kind of thing. But, uh, I guess if it's Amy Sedaris, like you want her and her weird craziness as a as a godmother figure i bet that would be very amusing. I mean it children. could also
1: be that she has always said she never wanted to get married and have kids and maybe he did and that could, could be, be what the thing was cuz they were together for a long time. It sounded yeah. like yeah.
3: I, I don't know the exact amount of time but they they have all sorts of stories where they would pull tricks on you know Stephen Colbert like uh they lived in the same building so i think Amy and Paul lived together and Stephen lived upstairs and like they would call him down and they would, like, get under the blanket and pretend to be having sex really loudly. So, like, when Stephen Colbert came in, he'd get all embarrassed because he was kind of a, you know, that type, you know, he'd get all embarrassed by that kind of stuff. And they just mess with him and make fun of him and stuff like that. Um, Amy is g- kind of actually really insane, you know, maybe even uncomfortably so, because she. I saw an interview where she told a story where they were, on, they were on tour of Second City and they were out in California and they took a trip to... Um, Joshua tree in, in the desert and it was really super hot and they had like a, a big thing of water that they let an ice that they left in the car and they went on this hike it was super hot they got back to the car the ice had all melted it was all nice and cool in this cup and she took it and drank a whole bunch of it and then took the rest of it and was about to hand it to Colbert and dumped it all on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> shit dude. you know, yeah i, it's I mean it's like family, that kind dude. of insanity which is not yeah. something that i could be into but i mean that's you know show folk i guess uh they i guess think that's funny um anyway they uh after second city they had a co- that comedy sketch show exit 57 which was on comedy central in 1995 um you can see it and find it on youtube parts of it i've tried to watch it it you know, I don't know there's a reason it got canceled. It was a little dated, true. maybe dated and not really that funny. I mean, and I'm a fan of all three of those people, obviously. And right. Just didn't find it that funny. It lasted like 12 episodes. Um, it was canceled. And uh, Colbert and Donello were trying to pitch a show back to Comedy Central called Mysteries of the Insane Unknown. And another guy, another co-created a show, this guy, Mitchell uh, Rouse and Sedaris, developed their own pitch, which was like the after school special idea. Inspired by the Brady Bunch. They tried to um, get it on MTV, who was trying their hand at original content at that point. Um, And uh, they said no. And then they're going to go pitch it to Comedy Central. And, uh, you know, Danello convinced Colbert to go help Amy uh, with her pitch to Comedy Central. And you heard them talk about that at the intro clip. you know, Sedaris at first wanted to do kind of like a straight parody of After School special stuff. But when they found that tape that, you know, you heard from, from the woman, whose name is Flory Fisher. Um, and the, the trip back at a video rental store in the East village and watched it, they knew they had to do that. And they knew that Jerry could uh, pull that off with her ridiculous, um, you know, over the top style. Um, and, you know, they Colbert liked the idea of learning the wrong lesson after every episode. And Sedaris once said, you know, okay, she's a junkie whore. Um, and, you know, they were inspired by stuff like you know, the after-school specials that Scott Bae was in a thousand of them. Uh, the story of Aileen Wuornos, the wow, you know, wow no serial way. killer.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy.
3: Yeah. And uh, a Frederick Weissman's cut follies which cut follies yeah so uh, what
1: that is is that's a documentary of like the decay of the mental health system it's like this uh, mental mm. health Asylum I remember it was out in like the late 80s and we were gonna go maybe my friend Brad were gonna go see it we never saw it but it's supposed to be this really dark documentary about the kind of how people were treated in asylums and stuff I Got believe it. that's right any of our listeners can correct me it's not the first time I've been wrong but that's my memory of it yep
3: and there's other of these documentaries that are around at the time that have been since parodied on things like documentary now, like the Grey Gardens stuff and, and yeah, and,
1: yeah. Or, yeah, uh, Grey same. Gardens could be a reference point too. In yeah, a way. same. Yeah. And
3: and the woman and the women in Grey Gardens could, you know, are, are essentially a Jerry Blank-esque yeah. sort of thing. Um so they, you know, Colbert, Danello, and Sedaris wrote most of the episodes. Um, you know, Amy in interviews would say that, you know. Colbert especially could do Jerry Blank better than she could do Jerry Blank and would often you know do the lines in Jerry's voice um you know that they really would you know improvise stuff and whatever they came up with that they thought was funny they wanted to keep um in and they just tried to get more and more ridiculous um they would you know you got skills to pay to bills stuff like that and uh I like the poll and the whole and the hole which you heard at the beginning of
1: the of oh, this yeah. show
3: came from things like uh Sedaris's brother Paul, not not uh um D- David, right. but, but Paul, another crazy Sedaris person, no doubt, sibling. Um, you know, they actually took direct lines from the trip back in several places. Um, you know, and Jerry would say stuff like um you know, she would watch the show without the sound to see if a deaf person could follow it and still find it entertaining. Um, in stories I've read, they, you know, they and seen in other places, um, she told the costume designer of the show that she wanted Jerry to look like she owned a snake. Uh, oh, you
1: know, just that's like, awesome! Just like weird
3: shit like that. And uh, anyway, they, uh, m- you know, made the show at, called "Strangers with Candy" I, on obviously don't taking don't take uh, candy from strangers which Would be like a topic from an after school, uh, yeah, special. totally right. Um, her look uh, was sort of like somebody who'd own a snake crossed with a professional golfer, <laughs> it was like one of the th- ways she described it. And it, it took you know well over uh, almost an hour for her to get into all of that as she was wearing kind of a bodysuit, um, Amy. Sedaris, if you've never seen her in person, is rather diminutive. I think she's barely five feet tall and weighs like 90 pounds. And so uh, Jerry Blank's uh, big butt and all that stuff is definitely a bodysuit and and all that. Um, The show was filmed in New York and New Jersey at different locations that both, uh, you know, appeared as a flat point uh, high school, home of the Concrete Donkeys, And, uh, you know, over the different three seasons, uh, I think Rutherford, New Jersey was one of the locations and somewhere in Westchester, New York was another. I don't know the exact uh, uh, city in Westchester County, but uh, somewhere up there. And that's kind of the story of the filming. So do you want to talk about the um, aftermath, the reception
1: of it? Yeah, I think the show was critically acclaimed and I think it was mildly successful. I mean, really, we can talk about whether the show deserved more seasons or not. I'm kind of of the opinion that kind of ran its course, you know, it's a, it's a very tight idea. You know, it's like, it's a very tight concept. There's only so much you can do with it. Unless you, you know, you follow the 90210 route and have Jerry go to college, you know, which of course kind of almost doesn't make sense. Like what college would she go to? She's like constantly failing. Right. Um, But I think, uh, you know, I think especially Amy Sedaris's performance, I mean, regardless of what they say about Stephen Colbert, which I don't doubt, he's brilliant on the show himself. Um, all of the cast is brilliant, but her performance is crazy because she holds this facial expression the whole time. Yeah. And it's obviously not her real face. When you see her, she's kind of a cute little lady, you know, yeah. she and she kind of does look like the cute homemaker you know, she's a, she's got these... Uh, nice little dresses on her craft books and stuff. So so after the show, yeah, I think it was critically acclaimed enough and it had enough of a cult following that they did do a movie in 2005, which no one saw. <laughs> you know, it's probably one of these movies that really didn't get wide distribution. I don't even remember hearing about it being in the theaters. And I don't remember if I saw the show before or after this. I think I saw it before 2005. It would have been right when the DVDs came out. So it probably would have been early 2000s. Um but yeah, I mean, it didn't do anything really, and they kind of left it at that. Um, but after the show, of course, Amy Sedaris, Amy Sedaris started doing this thing where, I believe her and Paul Danello had a show, and it was like a craft kind of cooking show.
3: Yeah,
1: And then she also wrote these books you know these kind of uh coffee table cookbooks and stuff so she was really into crafts and cooking and things like that which is kind of anti as anti Jerry Blank as you could get in a way um she also uh worked on with her brother David on several shows and appearances uh as well as most famously probably recently she has had a guest spot on the um Disney show the Mandalorian so she continues to work um, obviously, you know, we did talk about the Donello Sedaris, uh, relationship and you mentioned that, uh, both Danilo and Sedaris work with Colbert. So obviously the big star of the show, the breakout star here is Stephen Colbert, right? Yep. And he, he was all, when the show was on, he already was starting to work on the daily show with, uh, John Stewart. Um, and then eventually he would move on to the, uh, Colbert report, his own show. And then eventually he replaced David Letterman. Um, so he is. Probably one of the biggest stars out there and definitely the biggest star to come from this show. I don't know uh, what some of the other people on the show did or who was on it, but um, I don't know if you know anybody else who did anything more. Not really. I, I think
3: there there were some folks on the movie. Obviously, there were cameos by people like Paul Rudd and Winona Ryder and stuff like that.
1: But right. And Winona from- Ryder is actually in the show as well. Didn't, yeah, did Paul? Yeah, yeah. Winona Ryder was in the last episode of the series. Too. Yeah,
3: yep. And I think what's that? What's that guy who uh, was in Guardians of the Galaxy and that other TV show? I never watched. Oh, um, Chris Chris Pratt. Yeah, he was he he was on the show too. Oh,
1: that must there. have been a really early appearance for him. Yeah, yeah. So that's a big. That's a, a huge star too. Yeah, so.
3: I don't know. I don't know if he was in the TV show or he might have been in the movie.
1: I, oh yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember. He's on Parks. His breakthrough came on Parks and Recreation. Um, And then he obviously got Guardians and now is like a, you know, mega movie action star guy. Married
3: to uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I wonder if Arnold, you know, takes a dump in front of – you know, Chris, <laughs> just Dude, like that's did. your
1: question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like he yeah. did for that. Uh, oh, Access that's right. Hollywood that interview. For, that's right. Yeah. Chris, come here. I want to welcome you to the yeah. family. You yeah. are yeah. the Schwarzenegger. You must you must pass the Schwarzenegger <laughs> test. <laughs>
3: Who is your daddy and what does he <laughs> what do? What does he
1: do? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: totally. All right. Back back to the fairway here. Um, Amy Sedaris also I, I have seen a few episodes of it has a cooking show. On like, it's like a kind of a Martha, Martha Stewart parody type show, that's yeah. on some cable channel where, you know, she actually makes real recipes, but then she'll like, you know, burn her hair off and, you know, stuff like that as a goof, um, you know, just kind of like her homemaker character over the top, smiling, you know, manically, all that kind of stuff. Can't really watch it. I, I mean, you know, she's sort of funny for a while to me, but her, that her, she's just too just too manic on all her things that she does. You know, the uh, Jerry Blank character is pretty much the only thing, um, and Stranger to Candy is pretty much the only thing that I've really watched with with her. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about evaluations. Um, I'll go first here, you know, and again, we're talking about the TV show series, not the, not the movie, but I, I want to play... Um, a bit of a supercut of some of the kind of gross, sexy things that she says, in addition to the ones you heard at the beginning of the show. And then I'm gonna talk a little bit about Jerry and her sexuality. Goodbye, mom.
0: Uh, well, can't we still make out?
1: Hey, Scroat, this doesn't concern you.
0: Hmm, that's funny. Why does your finger smell like his ass. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm sure it's not the first time you had balls slam against your face. Uh-huh. It's the Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. See the crack? Solid brass. Come on, ring it. Uh, Jerry, this is moving a little too fast for me. Come on. I just... never even. Use... just
2: relax.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and I hope Spike's still kicking. The bacon strip's sizzling.
2: Okay,
3: so what you heard there um, includes two of my favorite things uh, from the show. Number one, mm-hmm. where her brother it comes at, at her with a bunch of his football friends and is accusing her of something. I forget what it is, but he sticks his finger in her face. And that's what she says. Why does your finger smell like his ass? Which is, <laughs> you know, one of his friends, which is fucking funny as hell. It makes me laugh. The Liberty Bell thing, we gotta talk about that. So there's this episode, oh, well, before that, the very first clip I played, um, this one, I'm just gonna replay it here. Goodbye, mom.
0: <laughs> well, can't we still make out?
3: There's an episode where there's a new student that comes to the school who turns out to be her biological son. And she's really attracted to him and all that before she knows that it's her son. But when she finds out that it's actually her son, she still wants to make out with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Which is exactly a jury blank uh, thing to do. So it's a kid that she gave up for adoption, obviously comes back. He comes, She's. everybody hates this kid. Obviously, everybody is super mean to the new kid. And on this episode, there's like ridiculously mean to this you know poor guy for no reason. But Jerry tries to be mean to him, too, because she always follows along with what the popular kids are doing and uh, but really can't help herself by being attracted and compelled by this kid. And it turns out it's her son. And you heard what her uh, response is. There's another episode um, where she tries to seduce this this poor kid, a different kid, um, who I think it's the one. Maybe you remember this. Isn't it the kid who was accused of writing the racist stuff on the wall? Yes. Yeah. And the, Jerry, of course, r- writes, you know, because Jerry being Jerry and just kind of a merry anarchist prankster. And this one episode just decides to spray paint the N-word on the wall of the high school just for shits and giggles. No particular reason is given. Just she just decides to do it. And this other kid just stumbles upon this and is sort of shocked by it. And other people see him standing there staring at, uh, the you know, the graffiti on the wall. And everyone just decides to accuse this one kid of having done it. This poor kid had nothing to do with it. But Jerry knows that she did it and knows this kid is being falsely accused and doesn't care. But she takes kind of a shine to this kid and she tries to seduce him. He's an innocent kid, obviously a virgin, uh, and really has no interest in her and tries to seduce this kid by attaching a bell to her labia. (laughs) And do we and that's that's what you heard in the clip the, the liberty bell I, again i'm gonna play it again it's the liberty
0: bell mm-hmm. see the crack solid brass come on ring it uh jerry this is moving a little too fast for me come on i never use shh, just relax
3: the thing about this scene is that it's filmed from behind where you just see the bell hanging between her legs and the the lighting is such that you just see her disgusting, gross, old, messed up looking legs, and oh, yeah. the bell hanging between her legs, and this and this poor kid on the other side. So you're like looking through her legs at this poor kid's horrified look as she's swinging this bell around and ringing it. It's hanging from her labia. That's Jerry Blank for you. Um, so that's uh, Jerry's uh, you know sexy uh, talk right, in addition to um, her snack cake references and Mel Dewey references and all that other kind of stuff. So part of it is, you know, the writers of the show are just trying to be as gross as humanly possible, I'm just trying to make Jerry just as aggressively and overtly sexual as possible, unabashedly, uh, you know, forward, and unashamed about pretty much any aspect of sexuality in any way. She's pansexual, men, women, you know, she even refers to uh, having done a show with a donkey.
1: You know. In, oh wow! Yeah. yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, in
3: Mexico. You know, where oh, she's talking yeah, yeah. about chafing and and stuff like that. And so um, this is just a big part of the show. Like, and she's always coming on to, um, you know, the the copperhead, the redheaded uh, p- girl that uh, you know is is in the show. Um, pretty much any any attractive female, she's just like we'll just say completely forward and quasi-disgusting things, too. Um, so anyway, th- that's like a big element of the show, which is so ridiculous because the visage of Jerry Blank. And again, um, if you've never seen the show, don't know what we're talking about, just do a quick search for Jerry Blank and it'll come up. Uh, and You'll see exactly what we mean. We'll be posting pictures of her on Instagram, no doubt as well, if you want to look at our Instagram page. But like, so look, what do you think about all these like sexual references? Are, are they alluring to you in any way?
1: Uh no, they are not. But uh, yeah, I think they're funny. Yeah. Did, any particular
3: ones that you uh, made you laugh the most?
1: Um. Yeah, I think I think the Liberty Bell one was pretty funny. I I agree with you that the way that's filmed, it it kind of makes it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's like that's kind of what makes it. And again, that's that John Waters thing. I think I think that's something he would have done. Yeah,
3: no, I agree. I agree. The The other part of Jerry as a character that we need to talk about is her is her racism and anti-Semitism and everything else you can imagine. And again, I'm going to I'll play a bit of a, a supercut of some of her uh, racist mutterings here. And then I want to talk a little bit about, you know, ask the question, like, is Jerry a racist? And in and, and my evaluation a little bit further, we'll talk about, um, I think you're going to talk about too, is how will this part of the show play? Um, is it, It will it be controversial or will it be seen in context and all that? But let me- Right, right. Let me play a few things uh, first.
0: Oh, boo hoo. I won't be dining with a pan-faced champ. <laughs> I'll peel my own bananas. Oh, That's the chink with some spick food I ordered, hoping you and I would have something to celebrate.
1: Hey, cotton balls. I hear you're protecting a racist. I'm not. The only thing we hate more than a racist is spicks.
0: I don't think I'm what the boys consider a traditional beauty. Oh,
1: uh, in my country you'd be a real queen.
0: Yeah, well that's because your country's ruled by monkeys. Damn, my muscles as tight as a Haber's wallet. Good people? They're Greeks. And Greeks are just Jews without money.
2: And what are you drawing?
0: It's a Chinaman. (laughs) The buck teeth make me laugh. (laughs) Mung chong, ting-tong, lee, wikie, (laughs) you I'll press your shirts later. (laughs) Never been so happy. Something you would never understand, you dirty, dirty Jew diary.
2: This thin cotton blousey shirt with an Indian pattern. of Indian.
0: And I'm not an Indian, it's just a coincidence that I have a love of gambling and booze and I'm not for catching syphilis.
3: Okay, so, whoa, <laughs>
1: dude, that was a lot. <laughs> what is your reaction to all that? Yeah, I'll get into that in my evaluation, I think. Uh I'm kind of not for it, I guess. I think, I think th- this is a big topic. I mean, we could get into this now. I think that that character, it's true to that character. Uh, and the whole show is kind of full of those people, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole um, thing where, I mean, again, we, we're kind of getting into my things I wanted to talk about, but there's like this whole thing where everybody kind of gangs up on people who are... Maybe vulnerable. Yes. Uh not just Jerry. So Jerry is like the most egregious of the characters, but you even have the teachers and everything. I mean, there's this whole episode where um, you know, it's just time and time again where uh you know there's uh uh all the all the people are basically terrible. And um, I mean, there's one episode where a character is retarded. Yeah, and and it's Jerry's job to like sort of spy on her, and then there's other episode where a character, uh, uh the new kid comes, right, and yeah. everybody's supposed to gang up on the new kid and hate the new kid. Who's and the, it's her kind son. of a
3: that's the one where it's right, the one with her son, but he's yeah.
1: new and she's like, you know, she's kind of befriending him because of the weird attraction to her own son, which is of course super gross and meant to be that way. Yeah. But also there's this whole thing of we're supposed to gang up on the new kid and it's supposed to it's kind of a parody of like being, you know, that whole thing of the after school special where the new kid comes and they don't fit in and, but it's like the show is such a dark vision of that, that everybody is like actively competing against them, even the teachers and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, it, it's, it's meant to create that kind of atmosphere. Like the whole world is terrible and stuff and racist. And I think the some parts of that show get this in a good way. But like some of those comments, it's just, I just can't laugh at some of that stuff, even though it's shocking. It's like, to me, looking back on that stuff now, it's like, it's almost like in 1999, we're like, oh yeah, these are just the weird people who still believe this shit. It's very obscure. You know, there's these weird white supremacists in pockets. And now you look now and it's like completely mainstream um, because of the internet or whatever. It's like these kind of people are all over the place even more so than they probably were in 1999 or they were, they they were just back then, they were hiding their views and now they feel comfortable about letting it out the way it is. And it's like, we realize that we haven't come anywhere and it's kind of frustrating to see that, you know, and it's like watching the show. I do understand what they're trying to do with it. And I do think, you know, I'm going to, make my final judgment on this in my evaluation section but i'm just going to say i think these are probably my least favorite parts of watching the show um because i think some of the humor stands up and some of it's like you know it's just too much (laughs) yeah i don't know
3: yeah so i mean a question is jerry a racist yes
1: yeah 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 i think that's meant to be i think that's intentional Right. She's yeah. a terrible character. And they're yes. showing, especially this old lady. Right. Yes. That's kind of the thing. She's like old lady who's been to jail. She's trashy. She doesn't have any education. Right. It's it's meant to be that way that she's this terrible racist. Right. Yeah.
3: I, I also. Th- well, yeah, I mean, she, clearly they're trying to make her as awful as you could make a person. And that's right. part of the, you know, the character. But I also think that there's an element here. Where she says these racist things. There's no question. But I think she's she she articulates these things as a way of putting herself above others.
1: Just like a lot of racism. You know, yeah, that's kind on, of what racism but, right. is. It's a power play, right? Right. So it's it's not, yeah. I
3: don't necessarily think she has any deep-seated hatred towards any of these, you know, people. Certainly like Orlando who is her sidekick she says all sorts of awful things to, um, is somebody who she spends a lot of time with and seems to genuinely like. But, you know, I think she's really more than anything else, a bit of a social climber. You know, she, she very much cares what like the popular people think and are doing and try is trying to constantly sort of raise her yeah, uh, status. Yeah, that's true. And so any you know and and one of the way and she's at the bottom of the totem pole you know what I mean she's this grotesque character she's you know old and you know high school she you know looks ridiculous she has all these but but she views you know when she is making a racist comment putting somebody else down because of you know their ethnicity or you know whatever it is i think part of that is it's very transparent that is just a way of elevate, trying to elevate herself above others, versus like having any deep-seated hatred towards any particular group or, or people. Not that that's an excuse, or but I think it's a different thing. You know what I mean? She's not going to go off and you know blow up, a, you know, you know something or, or anything like that. Like I think she's just more all, all about this. She's a little bit of an anarchist. She's a little bit about anything that could get her ahead in other people's eyes any way that she can separate herself from somebody who's seen as lesser is something she's going to do. And it's not based on any one group of people or anything like that. It's like anybody who she can get an advantage over is just part of that character, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I see what you mean. I just think that there's a lot of it and some of it is like pretty hardcore. And I think um, it's part of the edginess of the show, but it's not my favorite part and i think um some of it, it's a little hard to take i think the one episode uh yeah just the the comments to the friend you know are a bit much and um yeah i just don't i don't find it stands up for me like it's not my it's i was basically not laughing at any of that stuff really maybe maybe some of the comments were so shocking they kind of caught me off guard i was like what the fuck you know i mean i think again i think it's it's meant to be uh, kind of a dark satire and a meant to bring that stuff up. And I do think there's one episode that really does, I think it does, it kind of shows a contrast between most of the times they bring it up and the one time I think they bring it up where I think it's like, wow, this is actually really ahead of its time. Um, but I'll get into that in my eval because I think, um, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I also think it's meant to make the character m- even more crazy and more Negative. And I also think it's it's just the show. The whole tone of the show is dark satire. So they're gonna, and and this is the time in comedy where there was no off limits. You know, they yeah. were basically like, we're gonna satirize this stuff so dark. We're gonna go dark. And you know their intention is not racist, but now we're in a time when that doesn't seem to matter as much, and maybe who's doing the satirizing is important. Versus who isn't. And, and I think we can talk about that because I don't, uh, I think that's the one thing about the show that might put people off. Um, I mean, there are other things, you know, it's nasty and, you know, it's like mean humor and stuff. And my, not my, some people might not have that dark sense of humor, but if you have a good sense of humor, a dark sense of humor, there's a lot to recommend the show. Um, and even some of the racially, there's one racial joke uh, that I think could be construed as racial that I think is in. I think in a better spirit of what that kind of jokes are than some of the stuff she says. Um, I think they kind of overdo that a bit and it doesn't, I'm not sure it stands up for me, but again, I'll talk a little bit more about that. I mean, mostly what I had to say I've said, but um, yeah, I see what you're saying too. I, I definitely think it's character formation. um, But are there other ways to do that is the, is the thing. I'm not sure how it stands up for me.
3: I also think that context is everything in these sorts of things. And, and I get what you're saying is not everyone's going to invest the time or uh, make the informational or, or uh, you know, time, uh, other investments in trying to figure out who these people are, what the show's about. They might just hear something out of context and just say, "Haha, there's an example of somebody saying something awful without understanding the, the, the larger piece of where this uh, comes from. I think if you really look at the show, do you, I mean, do you really think Paul Donello and Stephen Colbert and Amy Sedaris are racist? No. I mean, if you know anything about them or seen them or know about their backgrounds and what they have to say about things, that's not at all who they are. I think they're, they were trying to be shocking. They were trying to make this character as over the top as possible. And I think on even some of the things that they have her saying, they're so over the top, they're just absurd. Like this one, I'm going to play it.
0: Again. never been so happy. Something you would never understand, you dirty, dirty Jew diary. What the hell is it
2: that?
3: She's yeah, calling yeah, it yeah. Inanimate, like, so th- yeah, this inanimate. So this is just a, an example of where she's trying to articulate something hugely negative or racist or anti-Semitic towards a, a book. And she's just like full of these weird contradictions. Um, and I think it's just as a means to make this character as ridiculous as you could possibly make her. And in the context of the time, you know, at Comedy Central, maybe on cable today, you could show more graphic nudity or anything like that. They were just trying to push, push the, you know, pedal to the metal as far as making this character as just ridiculous as possible. And I think pushing the boundaries of what you could possibly get away with Again, to the point you made about this being kind of the, you know, raison d'etre of, of the comedy at that time. I think they do that successfully. When I look at these things, I have that context and I understand what they're trying to do. And I understand who they are as people. I understand who Jerry Blank is. I actually think it's really funny.
1: <laughs> and yeah, I mean, yeah. it's
3: just so ridiculous. It's not, I don't think there's any hate involved, right? And again, that matters. The intent matters on these things. Do I think Amy Sedaris is anti-Semitic by calling her diary like a dirty Jew diary? I don't at all. I think it's the most ridiculous fucking thing I've ever heard. So, Right, right. Yeah, so Jerry talking about her diary, you know, it's just more and more it's just her trying to be outrageous and that's just part of the character. Um, Some of the other aspects of the show beyond Jerry I think are meant to be... um, Outrageous in different ways. So outside of the sexual things, outside of the uh, you know racial things, there's other aspects and other characters that are meant to be showing how terrible they are as people. So I want to play a couple of those. Um, one is Principal Blackman's has a, is emceeing a talent show, and here's what he has to say to one of the participants. <laughs>
0: Christopher Serles of Charlottetown Elementary. Ouch! Don't quit your day job. <laughs> Get off.
3: <laughs> so this is like a five-year-old <laughs> yeah, yeah, kid yeah. Yeah, playing yeah. the piano, and he's just like, oh, <laughs> don't quit your day job. Get off. How awesome is that? Like, what principal of a school would say such a mean thing to it? And this was, you know, this is like a little kid, like a five- or six-year-old kid. So that that's, uh, you know, one aspect that I wanted to um, talk about. You know, the after-school special thing about, you know, is supposed to sort of be pepping people up, telling people to go for their dreams, all these, you know, positive reinforcement message type stuff, but that's not strangers with candy. Here's a a clip from um, Dr. Iris Puffy Bush, Puffy Bush, I think the relative of the secretary.
0: Hit your aspirations straight. Now let's welcome our other last speaker from the Eterna Spring Artificial Flower Corporation, Dr. Iris Puffy Bush.
2: Dreams are a great thing, but you know something? They take a lot of energy, but that's okay. There's a job waiting for you down the block from your house that doesn't require a thought in your head or a hope in your heart.
1: How's that yeah that message? woman is amazing. <laughs> that, that whoever they got to play that woman is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
3: so you know, don't don't have big dreams, don't try. It's okay. There'll be a, a menial job for you waiting at the end is the message that she's delivering, which is obviously again an anti after school message, uh, after school special message, anti-inspirational which is in the vein of the show, of course. Um, here is a, a very funny clip from Jelly Nick. Yes, Jerry, but I get
2: the best of both worlds. I get to teach you youngsters how to create, and then I get to spend my summers thinking
1: about wanting to paint.
0: Wow, must be nice to hope for the thing you wish to want.
1: <laughs> totally.
0: <laughs> how
3: awesome is that? His yeah, dream is pretty, go, pretty is much nails it. not have it. to work to think, to think about things that he might want to do. Right. Again, playing on like, what's the worst thing you could say as a teacher to a student? And there's a ton of those. Um, by the way, there's a lot of uh, there's, there's one episode where, you know, uh, Jerry is, you know, comes to see next, She comes to see Noblet for some advice. And, you know, after he gives her some both give her horrible advice, I forget what it was. Um, they're like, yeah, come see me anytime. Lock the door on your way out. Right. So like they don't want to hear from students. They're trying to hide. Uh, they're not offering um, any advice. Um, here's more poor advice from Jelly Neck.
0: If everyone thinks I'm a whore, shouldn't whore. I at least whore it
2: up? Do you want to whore it up? Well. Fight it. You're a virgin as long as you pretend to act like one.
3: So that's the the gym teacher. That's about the, uh, I believe that's not Did who. you
1: ever watch the original pilot of the show? She yeah. actually plays the stepmother. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um not so, not she's much better as the gym teacher. Yeah, they, like, they got the casting better, better. yeah, they got yeah. the casting better, yeah, right.
3: So that's a, that's the that's the lesbian uh, gym teacher there uh, advising Jerry. Here's jelly Neck. Here's the one I was thinking of. Uh, this is this is some good advice and
2: insight. Fight? There's a fight. Listen, girls. Violence never solves anything except conflict. I know.
1: <laughs> I'm a pacifist. How awesome. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of phrases like that where they'll they'll say like a common saying and invert it. Yeah. Like that. It, it's really funny. Yeah. Violence never solved anything like conflict. There was that one. I don't know if it's from the movie or from the show where he's like, marijuana never so- fixed anything except my life. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah.
3: <laughs> Um, and then lastly, some more from Jelly who I think is one of my favorites as well.
1: Yeah.
2: I want my job back, please. What? What about the dream? Dreams are for fools. I'm hungry and tired and I want a warm place to craft. <laughs> so
3: that's after Jelly quits his job to go think about wanting to paint. And then he decides that he wants his job back because that's not such a great thing. So anyway, those are more uh, insights into uh, things that you shouldn't probably say at an after-school special. What's the worst thing you could say? You would say stuff like that. All right. So overall evaluation: Where do I come down on this show? Um, having watched it probably three or four times, at least in parts, over over the years from its original run until relatively recently here, obviously in preparation for this show. I think it's absolutely one of the greatest things that has ever been on TV. None of it bothers me. I'm not, I don't feel similarly to you that it's like difficult to listen to. I get the, as far as all the, the racism stuff and all that, I, I get the context of it. I get what it's intended to be and what it's not. It makes me laugh, especially at a time, and I get your point, that maybe this isn't landing as well as it could have, or it might land at a different time because you have people who are in mainstream media saying these things in a very different context, with real hatred behind them, with real and in- negative intent behind them. So it's not quite as funny and charming to be, you know, out of place to, to hear this stuff. And I get that, but I think long term, maybe I have some, you know, confidence that we'll get past some of where we're at today in society, and people will realize that for its time and what it was trying to do and with the proper context and all that, that it will be seen it you know, in its full power and its full flavor and with that full context. And I think it's pretty fucking amazing. I think there's never been anything like it before or since. Um, and maybe it could, ne- I certainly think this would never, ever be made today. Um, and maybe never again. And maybe that's some of its power is it had, If people willing to take a chance at a point in time where people a little more freer, people were a little more willing to invest in assuming that people would put the time and interest and intelligence into understanding the context to see the true comedy in it and not just see the surface, you know, whatever it it is and understand what they were trying to do. So that's kind of pretty much where I come down on it.
1: All right, cool. So I was going to do this in inverted order, kind of start with the good things and then the bad things, but I'm going to start with the bad first because I kind of want to end on a more positive note. I've gone back and forth on this show more than anything we've we've done. Like I've actually gone back and forth between completely like, no, I don't think it stands the test of time to, yes, I do, to somewhere in between. And, um, you know, I think that's Kind of a positive thing in a way because it shows how thought-provoking the show is um but i do have some negative things to say about it so i definitely did not like it as much as when i first saw it and i think that could be just maybe it's too edgy for old slip or or whatever but uh you know one of the things i found was i definitely think the show gets old um, I think the first season is so much better than the the next two. I agree Although there that. is yeah. there are a couple episodes in the next two seasons I do like quite a bit. But I feel like it kind of went, ran its course after one season. They kind of hit on all of the kind of after-school topics you could. And they were so, it was almost more, the, the first season is almost more surreal. Like, it's so weird where the show goes, like on these episodes. I mean, there's one episode, I think it's the first one, where Jerry Blank wants to be accepted. So she makes this drug and she's putting all this stuff like fucking Drano and shit yeah. into a thing. And she makes this drug and basically kills another student. Yeah. So the mouth gets all blue. And yeah. it's just it's just really over the top in the first season in a way that I don't think even the way Jerry looks is more crazy. Like her fashions, like her weird acid wash, like fucking total terrible eighties jumpsuits and weird fashions. It's, it's just, and it's kind of grosser. And then of course the dad is in, uh, he actually gets killed in the, I believe in the early part of the second season. Um, So the dad is in it more, which I never got, that never got old for me, but we'll get to the good in in a minute. Um, I thought it was a pretty limited concept, you know, this whole after school parody. So I think it, may have run its course after the first season. Um, and then it's of course, you know, the most, you know, the, with this kind of edgy comedy, it's kind of a double-edged sword where it's like, you know, it's great that they're 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 not being nice, they're being, you know, they're satirizing everything. It's getting really dark. But there's this whole thing of how far do you go and and what it ends up coming out as. And I think um you know, just to give an example, like, you know, there's all these comments Jeff played and uh the monkey comments and all that, and there is the intention behind those comments, which is obviously not racist. The people who created the show are not intentionally racist. But then there's the effect of them on who's watching, right? So it's like you wonder you know, how someone would feel hearing that stuff, even if they knew the intention. They may, they may not want to see it, you know? So it's like Here's an example. So, so, there's another show I like, The Office, which, of course, is an interesting one to compare this show to because it's of that same era. It's obviously not as edgy as this show by any means, it's a much more mainstream show. But there's an episode of The Office called German Christmas where Dwight Schrute dressed up as this character, Bill Schnickel. It's actually a real thing. And Bill Schnickel has a sidekick that's basically a blackface character. And, um, the, uh, his, his friend, his kind of assistant on the show, Nate, uh, it, you know, the, 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 he, they see a picture of Belschnickel with this Blackface character and they're like, oh, you know, uh, oh God, that, that Blackface character is so terrible and all this stuff you shouldn't. You shouldn't, uh, you know, it's good that you didn't bring him. And then Dwight gets on, immediately gets on the cell phone and you cut to the character who's completely dressed as the black Place character walking up. And he's like, you know, and then he turns around and walks away, like, don't come. And it's meant, and it's funny. It's funny because, you know, this is perfect for the character of Dwight. He is completely an idiot and would bring this character thinking it's fine. And then he immediately calls him and tells him, go away. But you see that shot that's been cut out. That doesn't exist anymore. If you watch The Office on Peacock, you cannot see that. I have Mm. the Blu-rays. It's on there. But it's like, to me, when I saw it, I laughed. But any blackface, people just don't want to see it. It doesn't matter if it's criticizing it or not. It doesn't matter if it's in historical context or not. People are kind of fucking done with that. And I can kind of accept that. I'm like, okay, you know, it's not my call. Maybe it's not my call. You know, it's like maybe it's these other people's call. So I, I kind of look at it like maybe maybe the people who are doing these jokes shouldn't be doing these. Jo- maybe they should leave it to other people to do them, you know, or maybe maybe they shouldn't do it so much. You know, so it's like to me, when I see these comments, I can kind of put myself under those people's perspective and say, maybe I don't want to see this kind of thing, you know, but I don't think that means the show should be canceled or anything I just think, I think it means that, look, if you don't, if you want to see this, you're going to see this if you watch this show. Yeah, You I know, think it goes with this stuff head on. And it's like, you know, just be warned that, you know, this stuff is there and try to look at it. Like these people are trying to criticize this kind of character, you know, the, this kind of thing. It's, it's basically in a way it's acknowledging racism in a really straightforward fashion. But I could see why people would be like not into it. And and to me, it was a bit much. I was kind of like, ah, this is, I wish there were other jokes. Now, so that's the racism side. And I've kind of said the, the other things I don't like about it. But as far as the racism side, there is one episode that I think stands out that I think is, it kind of, actually is ahead of its time, which is called Dreams on the Rock. So this episode deals with racism in a way I think is really cool. And uh, what it is, is there's this play that's going to be put on. And I believe it's called A Raisin in the Sun. And it's an African-American play. Mm-hmm. But all of the cast is white. <laughs> and including Jerry gets a lead role, right? So, and it's, it's basically goes to that whole Oscar's so white and that white, Washing, You know, where, you know, you had like um, characters who are supposed to be Asian being cast like like Scarlett Johansson or, you know, in this case, it's exaggerated. Right. Where all the characters uh, that are black are played by white people like every single one. And they and they have obvious uh, eligible black characters on the show who could be the actors and they're just dismissed. And I think this is intentional and I think it's a pretty good commentary and was kind of ahead of its time in a way, even though it's crazy that it's ahead of its time, right? Even in the nineties, the Oscars were still like 99% fucking white people. And it took forever for, I think just a few years later, Halle Berry and um, won the first best actress award for uh, African-American actress. But it's like like this show actually dealt with that in a way that I think stands the test of time. I thought this episode was great. and I think as as a, as a whole, I'm kind of like, while I do believe that, you know, some of the racism stuff is hardcore and I don't like it that much, I do think that I don't want edgy comedy to go away. You yeah. know, I don't want this, like, I think about John Waters, I think about his over-the-top offensiveness and how funny it is or something like Female Trouble or something like Pink Flamingo's God. Just wouldn't be made today. It barely made it then. It was at the time, it was just so cutting edge and so offensive in your face, but funny, you know, and it's like, and I think this show is that way too. You know, it's like there's stuff on the show that's super funny. And I think this show is so dark and cutting edge. I think it should be preserved. You know, I don't think that we should ban this kind of, I think it's kind of dangerous to ban this kind of humor. Um, entirely, even though there are things about it, I don't, that aren't my favorite, right? I think it's more, I, I just got to say, I think it's more powerful.
3: If you're trying to say a message, it's more powerful to use this kind of comedy and to use people as skilled as these people in yeah. portraying this kind of comedy, than right? This current mode of like, well, we're just going to edit everything out. We're just going to completely sanitize everything that could possibly be offensive to anybody for any reason and it's going to pretend all this doesn't exist when clearly it does, when clearly the world we live in is filled with all sorts of people who really hold these views and really have this kind of hatred. To to be, I think it's much more effective education, in my opinion, to have people who are as skilled as Danilo and Colbert and Sedaris satirizing and educating by uh, satirization, or satire would be the word, right? Then just to say, well, we're just going to pretend all this exists and everybody gets along and never mind. There's nothing to see here. I think that's completely ridiculous, ineffective,
1: stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I worry that we're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater when we do that stuff. Like you're getting rid of uh, something that has merit because of just a changing time. You know, it's like it's like. To me, it's it's like, I mean, there's stuff like Amos Amos and Andy, which we pretty much, if if stuff isn't worthy or stuff is just out and out terrible, we forget about it. Right. Right? I mean, stuff like, no one watches Amos and Andy. I was actually shocked by my wife's mother had the laser disc of that. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Of course, her mom was losing her mind after a while, you know, so I don't know if she bought that that time. But again, it was a different time and she grew up with that shit. But yeah. none of us, commemorate that stuff now you know that's just mean-spirited you know it's just there's nothing good about it it's just terrible right and no one no one uh, pays attention to that anymore well and and we should acknowledge that it existed but it's not like we watch it anymore you know well to
3: play devil's advocate a little bit i know we're, we're beating this to death but like i think it's an important part of the show if somebody were to watch the show, let, let's just theoretically take somebody who is a racist who believes and all the things that she, that Jerry says and watches this show in the future. OK, so sometime in the future and watches and say, well, I really like Jerry. I think Jerry's great because she says all these terrible things about all these people. That person's aligning himself with Jerry blank and holding Jerry blank I would as some kind of, you know, uh, you know, paragon of something good. This is the worst person ever and portrayed this way in every single episode to the extreme. Like that in itself is a ridiculous parody. Like, no, like I I just don't see this show and those things being any danger, you know, to, to anybody getting the wrong impression. I get your point about there's people who just don't want to hear this and don't want to, that's fine. That's told. don't watch it. But I, but I do think that the way that they did this, there's no confusing, there's not a virtuous, attractive character who has questionable ideas. There's just the worst person ever, who's a junkie, a whore, a prost, you, you, know, uh, you know, just like a, a liar, a thief, you know, like all the worst attributes a human could have, who also has these things, these characteristics, like it couldn't be more, more over the top ridiculous. I just think, there's no danger of anybody in the future like getting the wrong message from her. You know what I mean, within reason?
1: So anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, as far as other notable episodes, I do really like the two-part cult episode that's not in season one. It's in season two with Alan Todick. I think he's really good. Obviously, it's just, it's just a fun episode, you know, where Jerry gets involved in a cult. and It's very good about how the cult um there's just re- it's just really well done, you know, they like she's at one point she's trying to open the door and, and she's like, I can't open the door. And they're like, she can't open the door. Like she just doesn't have the heart to do it because she wants to stay with us. No, the door is actually locked. Yeah. Um, and they've locked her in, but then it becomes, they eventually Jerry's personality comes through and eventually they just want to get rid of her really bad. <laughs> and it's funny. I mean, there's one scene that's really funny in that episode too, where when, when one of the cult, the girl who she's kind of hot for in the cult catches up to her, she's just dropping sodas on this janitor, like just, she has like a whole row of them and she's just dropping fucking, uh, sodas on, on the floor. So he has to keep cleaning them up. It's just funny. And, um, But there's one part, so there is a racial joke that I think is brilliant that comes at the beginning of that show, uh, that where Jerry is playing this video game that's like a presidential assassin game. And this actually made me laugh out loud. Um, Play that. shooting assassin, get ready for Chester A. Arthur.
0: Check it out, Orlando. Chester A. Arthur's about to cut the ribbon. Don't worry, Chester, everything is fine. You're safe behind that big, walrus mustache.
2: All right, come on, Jerry. (laughs) You missed me. Way to
0: go, Orlando. God, I hate that you missed me, dance. We're going
2: to be late for school. Oh, come
0: on, one more game. No. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Here comes Washington. He walks into it every time. I noticed you two weren't smiling. Would you care for a flower and some happiness? Not right now. There's a powder wig in my sights, and I'm just about <laughs> to drive some lead through it.
1: Bingo! The father of our country is down!
0: <laughs> Look, his wooden teeth popped out. That's hilarious! (laughs) You seem to really enjoy life. I get my kicks. Would you like a flower for a small donation? I wouldn't mind shoving something in that can of yours. Listen, we don't want what you're selling. Leave us alone. (laughs) Why'd you do that, Orlando? Those people are a nuisance. What about your people? Talk about a nuisance. Here comes Jefferson. Come on, Jerry, we're gonna be late. You missed me,
2: assassin. Now I'm gonna go have sex with my slave. (laughs)
1: And that's obviously Stephen Colbert, doing the the voices, but I just, I love the idea of the presidential assassin game. It's really funny looking, the graphics, it's all primitive, the wooden teeth popping out. And of course I'm going to have, go have sex with some of my slaves, which of course is based on completely the truth. Right. Um, so it's pretty brilliant. I have to say, I think that's one of my favorite jokes of the show. Um, It's just really funny and it, it's a really great episode. It's a two part episode. Um, right. You know, obviously, I, like I mentioned, Dreams on the Rocks. I really like The Trip Back, which is the last episode of season one that's about a hot marijuana smoking chick. And, you know, it goes through all the cliches of the kind of, you know, uh, gateway drug paranoia. Yeah. Um, it's really good. Um, the, the real
3: Jerry Blank, the Flory, whatever her name is from the that uh, after school special uh inspired uh documentary we talked about the real one has a whole right. thing about how marijuana is a, a a gateway drug and like 5 minutes of that is her talking about how if you start smoking pot you're going to wind up you know addicted to horse as she would say in that so um the trip back again you might want to check that out
1: Yeah, I'll have to watch that. That definitely uh, deepens the show for me. Uh, Other good things about it. I think the dad uh, never got old for me. Every time they would come on, I would be laughing. Um, There's one scene where they're eating lobster and he's like, (laughs) it's just like these freeze frames. And the guy is just so good. Like he's able to stay frozen. That's why they hired him because he's the only one who could do that. And he looks crazy, too. Like, they make him look all crazy, as eyes, and it's just, it's like, you know, there's scenes where he's driving, and it's, it's just really funny where he comes up, and it's kind of a surreal, uh, you know, aspect of the show. The show's very surreal in its first season, as I mentioned. Um, I also like a scene, a show called Boogie Nights, that is the one where the sun, you know, she gets together with the sun, but there's this whole prom and it's called bogey nights and they're all dressed as in golf clothes. And it's just really weird. Like it's, it's almost like an acid induced, uh, show in some ways in the first season. Um, I mean, there's so, so many surreal moments. Um, and then just how nasty it gets. I mean, Jeff played, um, all the quotes like Liberty bell, uh, pinky, all stinky, um, there's one, I think the one where the character is blind behind black eyes. I think that episode isn't great. I think the joke gets old really fast, but there is one where they're, of course he's blind. So everyone's picking on him and, and her brother's picking on him and, and, uh, they're trying to get his goat and he's not going for it. And so they get mad and the brother goes, let's go watch, let's go watch gay porn to rebuild our hate. <laughs> that pretty much was a really funny, funny thing. And then there's uh, this clip right after Jerry reads her great musket poem, uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, as Mr. Noblet, has this to say.
2: All right, everybody, for tomorrow, I want you to write a history poem on Hiroshima, but nothing too
0: faggy. <laughs>
1: That of course made me and my <laughs> wife Barb laugh really loud. I mean, it's like he's writing it on the board <laughs> as if it's an instruction. Nothing too faggy. Yes. One other thing I should mention too is another one of my favorite things is a show called The Best Show. And it was pretty, it's an un, you know, it was a pretty underground show on a radio station called WFMU, but they had made this recording called Rock, Rod and Rule in the late nineties that was kind of making the circuits around the comedy world, you know, like Conan O'Brien was a real fan of it. And it's basically uh, Tom Sharpling uh, talking to his comedic partner, John Worcester, you know, he's a musician and, and he does kind of jokey tapes with Tom where they parody things. And he's this guy who's written this book called rock rotten rule. Uh, you know, you write all the, it's just three columns and he's basically, Tom's asking him whether this band rocks, rots or rules. And they'd they'd rot because the publisher didn't want to do suck or whatever. And it's really funny. And it's like a tape that went around and it's funny because there's a huge reference to it on the show. There's a scene. It's the episode where, um, the whole, uh, cast does, uh, carry on my wayward son at the end of the episode. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, of course, uh, Knoblet has it on the board. He's got rock, rotten rule, and he's got Kansas there, um, in the rock column. And it was just a cool reference. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, this was going around at this time. It was around 98, 99 when they made this tape and every, you know, it kind of went around and people like they made a, uh, cassette tape or CD of this. And it was going around the comedy circles because comedians thought it was really funny. Um, and it's just one of many things he did, but I was like shocked. I was like, holy shit, that's, you know, that's the best show. Um, anyway, I really like that. Um, so yeah, again, overall, I would say I'm kind of neutral on the show's quality as a whole. I think it's really edgy. I think that it's worth seeing. Um, and I hope it stands the test of time. I just don't know, you know, it depends on how things go in the world. Um, and I think I really want to defend kind of comedy that's edgy more than I want to condemn it. So I'm kind of more on the side of that this show should be seen and should stand the test of time, because I think it's, it's especially its first season and its purest form is just kind of a really amazing, edgy work of comedy, you know, yeah. and risky. And they took risk and they and they definitely went farther than most shows would go. Um, but I could see where some people would not like aspects of it. Um, I don't think it's perfect, but, uh, you know, Jeff's definitely a bigger fan of it than I am. But it was cool to revisit and, and kind of especially in light of, you know, the way things have have been trending in media where everybody's afraid of everything. I definitely don't agree with that. Um, and I don't agree with editing it either. I don't agree with editing that office that they did. Um, I think it's better to show that and have it and basically have it com- comment on something like that than just take it out, especially because the intention is so obviously against it. Um, but again, that's what they decided to do. I mean, um, and uh, that's yeah. the only thing they did. And there's other stuff on the show that they could do uh, with that show because it's so it. it for a mainstream show, it gets pretty edgy with the character of Michael Scott, especially. But well, it's people
3: like, aren't willing to take any chances on anything anymore. It's just easier to avoid all controversy yeah, than to confront anything in any kind of sophisticated or subtle way or anything like that. It's like, oh, we just don't want to hear about it. We don't want to deal with anyone who's not going to understand or invest the time to understand it. So that's what happens, right? He's edited
1: right, it Right, right. So Cool. I think right. that's it. I mean, uh, yeah, I think I'm neutral as to its prospects. I'm, I'm kind of not going to short it because I don't want to be on the side of shorting it. But realistically, I don't know. You know, it was such a, a obscure show in a way. But I do see articles about it. People still talk about it. Um, so, you know, we'll see.
3: All right. So you're neutral. I'm definitely long. I think this is a cult classic. I think in the future it will wind up being seen as a groundbreaking show, especially if we keep getting more and more, um, you know, sanitized as a society, trying to pretend that these things don't exist, trying to hide everything, just, you know, some ridiculous aspects that are going on. You know, in 2023, I think this show will be seen as, as you know, groundbreaking, maybe the last of a of an era in, in some ways, if that's the case. So I think if that were to pan out, I think the show would even be even more, um, popular in the future as as a cult show and it's something that people will go back and uh, revisit. So that's all we got. Uh, Strangers with Candy. Go check it out on Paramount Plus. I guess you can watch it now. You can get the DVDs of it and so forth and so on. So catch you next time.